Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders Podcast, episode number 90. My name is Christopher Luft, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with James McMurray, commonly known as Jim, founder and CEO of ThreatHunters.ai. But first, a word from the sponsor of this show, Lima Charlie. My name is Maxim Lamet Brassard, and I'm the founder of Limit Charlie, I'm the company behind the SecOps Cloud Platform. Cybersecurity tools today need to evolve from the one-size-fits-all silos into a modern tool set to adapt to the specific needs that you have. The SecOps Cloud Platform works by providing you with full access to the underlying security tools and infrastructure. Everything's on demand with no minimums, no contracts. It's an approach that's really like AWS has done in IT. We offer a full featured free tiers, no credit cards, no contracts, nothing. Get on the platform today, deploy an EDR, start ingesting logs, build a product, start an MDR, an MSSP, whatever you can imagine. We're making security flexible so you can build what's possible. You can learn more or get started for free at limacharlie.io. Thanks so much for being with us on the show today. Thank you for having me. To kick things off, do you want to quickly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. My name is Jim McMurray. I'm the CEO and founder of ThreatHunter.ai. Been around 17 years. Before that, worked in the cybersecurity industry, network security, since 1993-94 timeframe. And prior to that, I was in the U.S. Coast Guard for about nine years. Yeah. Part of the preparations I do for these interviews is to go look at my guests LinkedIn and get an idea how they spent their career. You've been in security for a long time, which I most certainly want to talk about. But the thing that caught my eye was starting in 1984, as you mentioned, you spent nine years with the Coast Guard. What drew you to that calling? Well, I've always wanted to serve others. It sounds kind of odd, but I always had this desire, even as a little kid, you know, a 10, 11, 12 year old, I wanted to do something that was bigger than me. And I just had that desire. I was a a sea cadet prior, you know, prior to joining the Coast Guard. I was a sea cadet for a number of years. I got to interact with Navy and Coast Guard personnel. And I saw the missions that they had. And I thought, you know, for me, that that was my calling. And, you know, uh, I like to call the Coast Guard my first alma mater, right? It's my first home where I, I got to, experience life that I wouldn't have been able to experience otherwise and got to help a lot of different people. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I started sailing in my twenties and it's actually one of the most fulfilling and meditative things that uh, I can think of doing. Right. Being underway on on a, uh, on a ship, you know, in the middle of the Pacific ocean and, you know, in June, July timeframe, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, the 12 to mid, the the midnight to 4 a.m. watch and just looking up and and there's so much light and so many stars and so many things to see. It, to me, being on the ocean is life. Yeah, it's wonderful out there. What eventually made you decide to leave? Um, uh, you know, it's a really good question. So a combination of some medical things that occurred, and I met someone who said that she would not marry me unless I was no longer in the military. So... Within a couple of months after leaving the military, we got married 
And we've been together, we've been married for 31 years now. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and I think I caught somewhere that you were somewhat recently awarded a title of honorary chief in the U.S. Coast Guard. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so I, I was not a chief petty officer in the Coast Guard. I was a petty officer first class, uh, sonar tech, then an electronics tech, also boarding team member. But after I got out of the military, you know, I wanted to serve 20 years. Um, I stayed connected and I do a lot of different assistance to Coast Guard units and the Coast Guard families and personnel that have financial issues or, or need some assistance over the years. And I was recognized this in 2023 for the assistance I've been giving over the number of 15 years or so by uh, being promoted to an honorary chief petty officer in the Coast Guard, signed by the Commandant of the Coast Guard and the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, which to me is, is a great honor. You know, to, to be called a chief is a big, in the Navy and the Coast Guard is a big, big deal. To be part of the chief's mess is a huge deal. So, yeah. No, that's great. And I love that concept of serving the people that are serving. You know, it's a wonderful way to give back. Right. Right. So after the Coast Guard, you did some time in IT. And then the first job title I could find that you have with security in it is at a company called Academic Systems. And you were there from 1994 to 1996. Can you tell me a little bit about the company, the kind of issues you were dealing with back then? Sure. So it was a startup. Uh, started by a bunch of people who left a company called Jostens Learning. And their whole idea was to bring mediated learning to community colleges and colleges. And they had an idea, the founder of the company, um, he was an Apple education VP. He had this great idea of, of helping students who graduate high school and don't have enough knowledge or didn't have good test scores on the math side. So they would be sent to re what they would call remedial math when they would go to university. And that that also is a high cost to the university to have to have these remedial type classes. So his idea was, why don't we start a CD-ROM interactive mediated learning system that a university could get a grant for, and they could actually have learning pods of five people in a pod and get 10 of those pods in a room. And then you could have one instructor who doesn't have to be within the room who could actually pop in and see how well the student is progressing. So it's a great idea. Far, far ahead of what technology was really available in 1994. And that required a lot of thinking and a lot of infrastructure that they didn't even plan for. So you know, from creating our own data center. How do you create the CD-ROMs and the, not, not just the content, how do you create the content, but how do you get on the CD-ROMs? You know, these are pre-internet things, right? And then how do you deliver those CDs to somebody? So there are so many different potential for issues and problems. It, it was mind-boggling. I learned a lot. Um, you know, true Silicon Valley startup, we lived there seven days a week. They would cater food. You know, we slept under the tables because we all had this passion for trying to help these students, trying to help these colleges to get these students to come to school. Um, and that was a really great 
eye-opening experience. And it was a, I think it was a great segue from my military service into, into the technology world. Yeah, to have a mission-driven organization like that can definitely create yeah. passion, and that's exciting. Yeah. So back, I think back 1994, 1996, was cybersecurity even like a thing yet? Did, was there culture? I know the first DEF CON was in like 1993. I can't imagine it was big. No, the term cybersecurity wasn't ever used. It, it was security of the product. It was how do we ensure that someone doesn't break into us? There was the term network security. But even the term IT security wasn't even used at that point, right? Um, uh, at the time, my wife actually uh, was the head of quality assurance. And QA uh, had a whole group of, it was her idea to have what was called devious testers. So not just people who followed, hey, do does everything work normally? But because it's going to be given to students, right? How can I break into this? How can I take advantage of the system? How, how can I ruin the system? And that was her idea. And she had this great plan. And she hired, I think, 10 DVS testers. And th that was a big eye-opener, even to the colleges that, that were being sold the system was, hey, we've made sure that students won't be able to break into this. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love that name, DVS testers. I feel like we should bring that back. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I would say that's her term. You know, she, she proposed it to the to the CEO of the company. He's like, "Hmm, why? Well, because we found when you do these four things and then do this, oh, we can get all the answers." Oh, okay, interesting. Now I understand. Yeah. Okay, so then fast forward through a bunch of different security and leadership roles. You go on to start ThreatHunters.ai in two thousand seven, which I think had a different name which is still what you're doing today, what made you decide to throw your hat in the ring as an entrepreneur and what's that journey been like? So it's kind of funny. You know, I worked at a bunch of different places, got offered a job at the aerospace organization in El Segundo. They moved us all down here after 9-11. Um, the aerospace organization is a federally funded research and development corporation, so it's quasi-government owned by the government, but a private company. Worked there for a couple of years. And then a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, why don't you come and help us with this security product, an inline layer two, layer three network access control system? Sure, why not? Decided to leave aerospace, went back, uh, went to work for Vernier Networks. And Vernier decided after a couple of years to, to pivot and to drop the Vernier name, drop the customers. And I felt again, kind of bad for our customers that had bought into the product, that bought into the system. So I proposed that um, I would take over all support for the product. I would take the intellectual property and in return, they would not be harmed or the veneer, when they would shut down, wouldn't be liable to any of their customers. Right. So uh, I did this, you know, not really understanding fully what I was actually getting into at the time. I just felt, again, I felt really bad. You know, it's, it's my, my wanting to help others. And I, you know, I knew all 180 customers personally, and I felt really bad that they were, that this was going to happen. And I wanted to fix the problem. So my wife didn't even know I was doing this. Board agreed. 
they changed their name to Autonomic Networks. And then they went out of business. I went home to my wife and I said, hey, guess what? We started a company. She said, that's awesome. How much money are we going to make? No. <laughs> oh, you mean, I said, for at least two years. What do you mean? Two years with no income? Yes. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> going to work twice as hard for no money. And, uh... and you won't see me. Yeah. And originally we were called Milton Security. And just a couple of years ago, we changed the name to Threat Hunter. And over the years, we've, we've progressed from being an inline layer two network access control system to actually doing what we do today, which is managed detection response. But we're in this niche of, we're not an MSP, we're not an MSSP. We are purely a boutique threat hunting outfit. Send us all your telemetry. We'll dig through it. We'll find things that even your appliances are not, are not finding. Very cool. Yeah, I was reading on the website, um, one of the core technologies you're developing is the Argos platform, which you describe as, and I quote, the Argos platform is so advanced, it's almost science fiction. That's a really intriguing pitch. Can you give me a high level of what this technology does? So we wrote that in 2016. And at the time, you know, no one was talking AI, right? No one was talking artificial intelligence. And really what, what the basis of it is, is a lot of ML models, a lot of machine learning models. And, uh, and you know, if you look back even, what, 2013, 2014 timeframe when Silence was going around talking about how great their, their EDR product was, uh, and they, it wasn't even called EDR at the time, basically built off of math, right? Everything's built off of math. And, and the whole industry basically, I won't say made fun of, but poked fun at them and maybe ridiculed them a little bit. But they did have a point. What is ML? ML is built off of math, regression analysis, right? And they had a point. Everything is going to go towards that. And that's where we came up with the term, it's like science fiction, right? We don't want to make the, the claims that silence was making at the time, but we wanted to still make it, you know, kind of fun and interesting. Cool. You're also the founder of VetCon, which runs alongside DEFCON. Can you tell us about that and what inspired you to get that off the ground? Sure. So back in 2016, 2017 timeframe, myself and Bill Kimball of, of uh, CDT, Bill is a, a Marine Corps vet. We both decided that, hey, you know, we see all these groups that, that get together at DEF CON. We've been going to DEF CON. I've been going since DEF CON 7. And there's all, you can almost call them cliques. You know, you, you have different groups of people that, that meet up and have parties. And we need to have one that we can bring all the veterans together. And initially it was just, uh, let's just have a big party just for the heck of it. And the first one at DEF CON, it wasn't even an official party at that time. Uh, I rented a giant suite and just as, as a test. And we had well over a thousand people show up wow. to this little suite. Yeah. And that's when we realized, well, we, maybe maybe this is something we want to do. but But we need to make it more than just come and have a drink and come and, you know, get drunk and meet others and do silly things. So that's where we decided that VetCon should be a group that brings together active duty and veterans and to get them integrated into the cybersecurity industry, the InfoSec industry as a networking opportunity. And from that, you know, 
this past DEFCON, we had before the 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 bomb scare went off, we had over 3,000 people in our room, kind of at the fire marshal limit. And from that, we've made a lot of different introductions. We've helped a lot of different vets get jobs. We became a SkillBridge partner with U.S. government. So a lot of my employees come from SkillBridge, which is, for those that don't know, uh, U.S. government offers uh, opportunity for people getting out of the military for the last six months that they're in the service. They can actually go and work for a company like an intern. They still get paid by the government. They take their uniform off. But the expectation is they get trained in a skill that that they're certified in and can get a job in at the end of that six months. And during that six months, it also gives me the opportunity to find out, is this someone I want as an employee? Do they have the right skills? Maybe they don't even want to do this, right? But it's a great way of them finding out, maybe I don't want to be a threat hunter. Maybe I don't want to be the blue side. Maybe I really want to do red side. Or maybe I don't want to be in cybersecurity at all. Yeah. I wanted to go do something else. But it gives them that opportunity before they get out and get lost in all the shuffle. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds like a great program. Yeah. And then we started a Discord server. So uh, we have about 1,100 active members on Discord for VetCon. We meet a lot. And then we have monthly meetings on it. We've had a number of companies. I like to drink whiskey. I have a question about that coming. <laughs> And uh, one of the firms, Michter's, which is my favorite brand of, and no, it's not a plug, my favorite brand of, of, of bourbon, Joe, the owner of Chatham Imports, which owns Michter's, offered to me during Derby to have a VetCon meetup. And he would shut down his whole plant and he would uh, bring in a pork sommelier, which is kind of an interesting idea, and uh, tasting and everything. So... We brought in 150 vets. He shut down his whole plant for a whole day, fed us lunch and dinner, matching with different bourbons, high-end, you know, $3,000 bottles. And it was a, a great networking environment as well To that a lot of these veterans had never met each other. So we had VetCon meetups, not only at DEFCON, but at Derby as well. Very cool. That sounds like a wonderful way to get those people together and stay in touch yeah. So another thing I found while researching, which just came up, was your Instagram account that has over 28,000 followers on which you post some nicely curated pictures of whiskey, occasionally paired with cigars and little mascots. What made you go on social media and share your love of whiskey? Uh, you know, on one hand, it's a little embarrassing, you know. Uh, my, my daughters call me an Instagram girl. Uh, you know, I enjoy whiskey a lot. I enjoy bourbon, whiskey, scotch, you name it. And over the past 30 years, I've, I have quite a large collection. And I have it not to sell, not to flip, but to share with others. So I, I use this as, as my tool to talk to other people. I, I really am an introvert. And I, I need things like whiskey or cigars to break the ice, to, to get to know somebody. And from that, I've created a lot of more relationships outside of cybersecurity, both in the cigar industry and in the spirit industry, but also in companies that their CEOs start following me for, because they also have this similar love, right? And I've made a lot of great 
friends and relationships. And a lot of those relationships also have turned into not my customers, but we've partnered on helping others. A good example of that is we helped a family that had a daughter that uh, is now in a coma and financially they can't afford a lot of different things. So myself and two other CEOs of firms, uh, we, we put some funds together and allowed them to stay at someone's house. So again, it's a, it's a way of giving back and a way of leveraging what the opportunities that we have been given to help others. Oh, I love that. I love that. From your Instagram account, I can also deduce that you're a fan of the Pogues. Do you think that punk rock and cybersecurity share some of the same characteristics? Definitely. Definitely. You know, we, we've, we've, we've always been the, our roots have always been, we're the outcasts. We're, we're the ones that will create the most noise and we, but not, not the most noise with, with a, well, let me restate that the most noise with the right message. You know, we're not the ones that are for breaking down all structures, but for highlighting where we need to rebuild and to change things. And that's how I look at this punk. You know, it that's if you look back my first DEFCON number seven, you know, that really was the time period that a lot of what we do now was started. Yeah. Very cool. Very good answer. Yeah, I uh, the misfits, but sort of with a good bent. Right. All right. Uh, let's get down to it. Given your vast experience and the technologies you work with, I'm eager to get your thoughts on a few things. The first being, in your opinion, what are the biggest threats that defenders are facing right now? Exhaustion. You know, I think that the speed at which attackers are compromising and taking advantage of CVEs is much faster than it was 12 months ago, even six months ago. And I think their abilities and their focus, you know, it's much tighter. You know, if they're going after two or three CVEs on the blue team side, we have to look at everything, right? And as a defender, we have to be right all the time across all of our environment, the entire spectrum of it. And um, the larger our environment, the more difficult it becomes. And the attacker is only having to do one or two things, and they're going to be hyper-focused on it, and they're going to be super fast to get in and get out. And you can see that in a lot of recent attacks. And I think that's why the number of attacks in the past 12 months have for us has dramatically increased. We we've seen there was more attacks in 2023 than there were in 2021 and 2022 combined. Wow. That's some pretty big growth. Do you think uh yep. any of these changes can be tied to the launching of ChatGPT or other large language models or is it just threat actors evolving their processes? I don't have proof of it. I don't have direct knowledge, but you know I think that using LLM, using large language models certainly will, uh, can assist them. They'd have to, you know, if you think of, of an attacker, they would have to train this model, right, on what these, these CVEs are. So, they're, so I don't think at this moment they're using LLMs to 
actually do a tax. It, it may help them with some background knowledge, but not doing the attack itself. Right. Um, looking ahead, I do see, you know, if you look at like the, the Mistral LLM, you know, um, which anyone can download and you can train yourself. I think it has 80 billion parameters in it already. You give it enough of a of TPU, a couple A100 cards or some cost involved in there. You know, yeah, certainly I think we're going to see in the next 12 to 18 months the speed exponentially increase in, in the type of attack because of. Do you think defenders are going to be able to keep up? I've heard from other guests that uh, their fear is that we're falling behind adversaries' application of AI and that there's sort of that technical supremacy curve that in the fear that they would get ahead of us in a way that we wouldn't be able to catch up. Do you see that as a potential threat? Yes. I, I think we already see it even without the firsthand knowledge of them using LLMs. I do think we've already seen their ability has increased and their speed from from the moment uh, a POC or a CVE is released, their ability to to attack has increased dramatically in this in that in that window. And I think vendors need to increase their speed in closing those loopholes and forcing customers to close those vulnerabilities as fast as possible. Is it? Yeah, and with tools like Shodan and stuff like that, it's so easy to right. read about a CVE on day one, you know, craft it up and, and find out where the vulnerabilities are and go after it. Right. And, and the other thing is, you know, don't look at just the CVEs that have been accepted and are publicly known. How about the ones that are, are declined, you know? And why were they declined, right? Is it because it wasn't worded right, but there's still a vulnerability? And does that mean the attackers are actually know of this vulnerability before it actually has a CVE number assigned to it? Right. And then it's not in any software bill of materials or any of those kind of protective mechanisms. Interesting. Correct. In your opinion, is AI coming for all the analyst jobs or are we always going to need humans in the loop? I think you're always going to need humans in the loop. You know, if you use ChatGPT as an example, you know, it's going to give you erroneous information right? It's going to reply back with things that are not valid, not true. And you can even go back and go, hey, you made a mistake. Oh, yes, you're right. I made a mistake. Here's this other answer. And that other answer is only as good as what it was trained on, right? And we're relying on open AI, right, to train it with a certain knowledge set. Our own use of LLMs at Threat Hunter really revolves around a natural language processor for our threat hunters to go, hey, I'm seeing this kind of a thing occur. Haven't seen it occur before. Have you seen something similar in the past 48 months worth of data that you have? And and it will come back and go, we haven't seen specifically, but we've seen components of it here, here, and here. And from that, you know, we can then create a new ML model from that, we could then train our AI of, oh, that's actually an attack that's ongoing. I don't think you you will see, like, will Threat Hunter lay off people because our AI is so smart? No. Will we hire as many people in the future? 
maybe not. Because some of the work that a threat hunter does is is doing that investigation and correlation and the retro hunting. How much time do they spend on a daily basis doing retro hunting? Let's say two hours. What if it's now only an hour, right? So suddenly I don't need as many people doing the same amount of work. Yeah. Yeah. Creating efficiencies and magnifying the impact of an individual analyst. Correct. So I don't think, I don't think we'll, we'll see in the, in my industry, in the threat hunting industry, I don't see it as, as people will get laid off. I do see it as, you know, my scalability increases because I don't need to hire as many people, but I still right. need humans. Right. You know, I, I give a, I just gave an example to uh, uh, someone recently. There's actually a hamburger joint that, you know, they fully automated making hamburgers, right? Auto flippers, everything. And I told them everything is great until it's not, right? The moment, the moment that that hamburger flipper, you know, gets stuck someplace, everything goes haywire. You need that human interaction still. You need someone there to supervise it and to teach it, oh, don't do that. Yeah. Okay, so this is the last one I have for you. It's the one I ask of everyone on the show. It can be as wide or as narrow as you want. Do you have any predictions for the future of cybersecurity? Wow. I hate doing predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that it is going to become more difficult for organizations that don't have a dedicated security team already. Um, if you believe that your IT staff, if you're an organization of 500 people and your IT team also does your security, I think you're already behind the curve. Amazing. If you think you can have a CISO, but no workers under your CISO, you're already behind the curve. You're are, it's already too late. Trying to find someone to fill those roles it's going to become more and more difficult as well. All right. Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, this one was an absolute pleasure. It's really great to know you, and thank you for all that you do in the community and uh, for the very generous support you showed towards our Cybersecurity Cares initiative this year. It's a, it's a real honor to know you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it, and I look forward to doing it again this year. Yes, we're bigger and better every year. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thanks. And that concludes this episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.